Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Marnie Svedberg, and I welcome you to Marnie and Friends, a place where leaders share practical, helpful, and encouraging ways to get anything important done faster, better, and smarter. Right now, I encourage you to sit back, buckle up, and join us for fun, laughter, practical help, and clear thinking, the kind of discussion that focuses our attention off of the fluff and onto the most important stuff in life. Again, welcome to Marnie's Friends. Let's get going. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Marnie's Friends. And today we have uh, an amazing program for you that will hopefully help you walk through every event in your life holding on to Jesus and looking for the good and for what he is bringing to you in that. The program today is called Shattered, Finding Hope and Healing Through the Losses of Life. And today our guest is Rita Schulte, the author of the book by the same title. During the next hour, I hope that you will grab a notepad or open up a notepad on your computer and start grabbing some notes here that you can keep and look back on over the years. Uh, You're going to be learning today the healing power of the art of noticing, what that is and how it helps. We'll also be talking about the difference between real and abstract losses and why it's important, how the losses of life affect us at the heart level, why brokenness is a necessary part of our lives and how to change our perspective on suffering and loss, What can happen to our relationship with God after we experience loss? The roadblocks of grieving, identifying loss, and more. How to deal with anger and forgiveness as they apply to processing loss and how to actually recover from the losses of life. Our guest today, Rita Schulte, is a licensed professional counselor with a BS in psychology and a master's degree in counseling from Liberty University. She's also a conference speaker, author, and host of Heart and Mind Minute, a 60-second spot designed to challenge listeners to consider their lives through the lens of God's truth. Her book, Shattered, Finding Hope and Healing Through the Losses of Life, is what we'll be discussing today. Welcome to you, Rita. Thank you for having me, Marnie. It's a pleasure. Well, and I've known you for a long time, Rita, through womenspeakers.com and the web. And, and uh, when I got a copy of your book, uh, Shattered, um, I was, I was first of all, right away intrigued because it's a topic that um, I, I assumed at the moment that you were writing from experience. And then even after the book came out, you've experienced more loss in your life. And we're going to touch on that a little bit as we go through the hour today. But I want to just start by asking you, when you first had in your heart to write this book, Shattered, um, where were you coming from with that thought of writing it? Well, certainly my own personal losses were definitely a significant factor but also as a therapist sitting with clients over the years, I noticed a significant theme, a consistent theme of loss woven into each person's story. And it didn't seem to matter what their presenting problem was. Loss was always a significant piece of what had affected their hearts. And many of these folks hadn't stopped to notice the effects of loss, much less put words to them. So I can't tell you how many times I listened to someone's story and I'd say, wow, that must have really been a loss for you. And they'd say, you know, Rita, I never thought about that. You're right. Right. So, I mean, I think we get the concrete losses in life, like divorce, death, betrayal, but the abstract losses aren't easy for us to always identify and label. So it was my observations about the nature of these losses and their effects on people's hearts that led me to write the book. Hmm. You talk in the book about the art of noticing. Um, Maybe just explain that for us today. What is it? Why does it matter? Well, noticing is nothing more than being mindful or paying attention of both the internal and external responses to our losses. In other words, we really need to slow it down, you know, because we're all running at a a frenetic pace uh, in our lives these days. And we need to pay attention to what's going on, body, soul, and spirit, because we we're holistic beings. And so the things that affect us at the heart level can spill over, um, you know, from our souls into our physical bodies. And we can't change what we don't notice. And the bottom line is this, morning: It's like loss isn't an easy uh, story to tell about, grief, suffering. You know, they're usually not happy stories. And so we don't want to talk about it. Uh, we bottle it up, we push it down, we close up shop, and there sits our pain. So 
sometimes for decades. And we miss the opportunity to really understand the event or the series of events that were responsible for breaking our hearts. And so we carry all of this stuff until maybe one perhaps insignificant event occurs and the bottom drops out for us because we've had, you know, all these losses have had a cumulative effect on our hearts, on our physical beings, on our souls. And so slowing it down and paying attention to these things is really, really important if we're going to deal with it. And there's several ways I teach people to do this. Um, Physically, uh, we need to learn to scan our bodies for stress and tension, carry that, especially um, if we've gone through loss. You know, you you hear people talk about, well, I have a knot in my stomach or, you know, I have anxiety, I'm nervous or or I'm depressed or I've got tense muscles. All of of those things... um, can be the result of significant losses or maybe not even huge losses, but as they stack up, again, they spill over into our physical bodies. And so we need to notice them and we need to learn to release our stress in adaptive ways. The other thing we need to do is we need to observe what it is in our outside world that's impacting us at the heart level. So for an example, if you're going through or have gone through a divorce, a familiar song, a familiar place, an image, any of those things, can take you right back, drop you right back into the pain and sorrow of those events. And so the external cues impact what we tell ourselves about our lives and our losses. They also affect our emotions, our affect, and they speak to our beliefs about ourselves, about God and the world around us. So we really need to learn to be aware of what we're telling ourselves, and that's a a whole other piece to this. But noticing is a critical first step if we're going to deal with the issues of the heart. When you're talking about noticing, I'm thinking myself, you know, um, I think I've had enough loss in my life that I've be- I've become a very good noticer. But for someone who maybe hasn't um, ever done this and they're listening to you and, 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 you know, and you're basically asking people, you're basically advising people to go ahead and bring their pain rate to the surface for themselves. <laughs> And, right. you know, I, I think most people would say, um, that doesn't sound fun. I think I just won't. So what's the, what's the benefit of it? Why, why are you telling people to do that? Well, because I think sooner or later we're all going to hit a wall. I mean, as a counselor, I sit with folks who have buried their pain. And in the book, I, I talk about two of the biggest roadblocks to uh, identifying grief and loss or uh, denial and avoidance. You're absolutely right. Just like I said, we don't want to talk about these things. We don't want to uh, enter into that pain because the belief behind that is if I go there, man, I'm going to just crash and burn. I'm not coming back from this, especially when they're monumental losses. And so, you know, we go along and we bury these things and, you know, they just kind of stack up, you know, loss after loss, like a pile of unpaid bills until sooner or later something happens, the bottom drops out. We hit the wall. You know, we, we, we wonder why the light's gone out of our eyes, why we've lost hope, why we've lost heart, why we've lost faith. Um, And so I just think, you know, the more I sit with people, the more I've seen, uh, you know, people in my own life deal with things, it usually comes back at some point in our life if we haven't dealt with it. So what's the payoff? Well, the payoff is, you know, if I deal with my pain, if I'm willing to face it, if I'm willing to talk about the issues of the heart, that's going to really bring me to a place of connection with God. I'm going to have to do business with God as it relates to my losses because loss really is making us face our belief about God. You know, if a lot of bad things happen to me, then it's all going to go back to what do I really believe about God? Am I angry at God? Do I believe God isn't good? Do I think God's punishing me? God, why are all these bad things happening to me? Where are you, God? And maybe I don't deal with that. Maybe I go along, you know, year after year, and it creates a distance between um, between us and God. So uh, if too much time goes by, I believe, before we repair the distance but between what we know intellectually about our grief and what we feel deep within our souls, I think we'll find that along this journey, we'll have sacrificed something precious in order to protect ourselves from pain. And that something is our heart. Because the whole idea of avoidance and denial is to protect myself from pain. I don't want to experience it. 
but am I really protecting myself? See, how how am I coping with it? Am I drinking? Am I um, running around with my wife? Am I uh, using pornography? Am I doing drugs? Am I staying busy? Um, you know, what what kind of things am I doing to cope with this unresolved pain? Because we all do it. It kind of makes me remind think of two a couple areas in life where also if we let it go it just it doesn't go away it just piles up and comes back and bites us later one is you yes. know there's people there's people who keep their weight within a three to five pound um standard this is the standard as soon as it's over five pounds back in fact they go on a little you know cut back period of time until they're back down to the level Other, others um just allow the weight to gradually gain and gain and gain and then it's much harder to take it off because there's much more of it there. It's the same kind of principle in our emotions. Um, we can yes. either deal with it. And, it, you know, emotionally it doesn't feel little. <laughs> emotionally, you know, a lot of these wounds feel very big and very difficult to face. But yet if you don't take care of them up front and right on um, early on, they do stack up and they do pile up and they do gain um, momentum, if you would like, you know, a word or weight. What is what is a word that fits there? They gain they gain some power. Yes, they do. They build a stronghold. I mean, you know, because there may be anger there too. And you and I know that if we don't deal with anger, then it can easily um you know, build a stronghold of bitterness in our lives. When we don't recognize and resolve anger, the enemy of our souls is going to use it to encroach upon our hearts. And that will build a stronghold uh in our life. So, you know, great point. I, I work with a lot of eating disorder clients, and people eat their way out of their sorrow, or people restrict food, um, you know, because, see, that's something I can control. And when everything else is falling apart in my world, I'm going to look for what I can control. I'm going to hang on to that because that will reduce this feeling of helplessness that I feel. Hmm. Yeah. Well, this is Marnie Sweater. We're visiting today with Rita Schulte, the author of Shattered, Finding Hope and Healing Through the Losses of Life. Her website is RitaSchulte.com, and if you want to check out the book, that's RitaSchulte.com forward slash Northwest. We'll be right back and talk about the difference between real and abstract losses and why that's so important. We'll be right back. Christian Women's Event. At womensevents.info, you can find events to attend. Learn how to plan amazing events for your group or publicize your own upcoming Christian women's events. It's all available to you at womensevents.info. Just click your state to find all the major women's events coming to your area or type in the month and year you'd like to attend an event to see all your options nationwide. It's that easy. If you want to promote an event, just click Add Event. Event publicity is available on a per-event basis or free to members. Finally, if you want to learn how to host awesome events, retreats, and well-attended conferences, click Event Planner Training. Once again, it's available a la carte or included in the membership. It's all online and here for you 24-7 anytime you have time at womensevents.info. That's www.womensevents.info. Welcome back. This is Marnie, and we're talking today with Rita Schulte, the author of Shattered, Finding Hope and Healing Through the Losses of Life. Right now, Rita, we'd like to address the difference between real and abstract losses. And um, they're, they're all losses, but, but they, do, they do hit us differently, don't they? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, concrete losses, again, like death, divorce, betrayal, you know, we get those pretty easily. They're pretty straightforward. But uh, this whole idea of abstract loss is a term I coined in the book to identify the things like shattered dreams, unmet expectations, loss of hope, trust, even faith, identity, role loss, um, loss of a childhood. They're they're very um, distinct and different, but even attached to our concrete losses, we have these abstract losses feeding out from that. So, um, you know, we can have the loss of uh, a spouse. You know, I just I lost my husband last year, as you know. Catastrophic. Um, but in addition to that, there were a lot of shattered dreams, a lot of unmet expectations, 
uh, the struggle of uh, trust, um, the struggle to find hope again, uh, a role loss. So many different things get connected to those things that we don't think about or put words to. Uh, you know, these kind of losses are a little more elusive, you know, but they're known very powerfully by the heart. Uh, we don't always notice or label them as losses, but they're important, Marnie, because they radically impact our belief systems. And if we don't pay attention to them, uh, they'll weigh, weigh our hearts down. You know, they can cause us to become anxious or depressed. Again, learning to identify our losses and put words to them is critical to healing and moving forward. How do they affect us at the heart level? Well, I think, you know, loss basically is waging assault on our hearts. I mean, if we're honest, you know, most everyone can raise their hand to, have you ever experienced loss? Has your heart ever been shattered? Um, That garners um, some real intense looks when I ask that question because, you know, you'll drop right back into that moment in time uh, where your heart has been dramatically affected by whatever loss uh, it conjures up. And I believe that you and I are in a daily battle for our hearts. And we have to fight that battle because our hearts matter to God. So, you know, the enemy of our soul, the forces that are coming against us are waging an assault, a battle, a daily battle for our hearts. And we have to reinvest our hearts uh, after loss with a bigger plan and purpose in mind. And I think, you know, each of our losses is significant because each of them has shaped who we are and, most importantly, what we believe about ourselves, God, and the world around us. And so in that way, they they very much, um, you know, affect us at the heart level. Whether or not we're paying attention to it or willing to admit it, it's really going on under there. I have a policy in my own life <laughs> that I look very directly at uh, losses, at disappointment, at unmet expectations, at the failures of those who are close to me, their greatest weaknesses. I look very directly at those things, identify them as clearly as I can, and then I and then I and then I seek the grace of God to um cover those, um, to actually help me to go forward in love, in grace, in faith, in hope, you know, and um, I, I I find that a lot of people find my approach to dealing with loss, to dealing with the failures in other people to be a little different from what they are used to. Most people like to, um, let's just use the example of someone's weakness, let's say a spouse or a child's great weakness. Um, most people like to pretend it isn't there, to minimize it, um, to ignore it, uh, to uh, chide them about it, whatever, um, instead of to look straight at it, to see it for whatever it is, the ugliness that it is maybe, and then to love past it. Uh, there's a pretty big difference between those two positions, and maybe you can speak to that. Well, I think, you know, you got to ask yourself, what's the payoff for them? You know, if I ignore this, if I minimize it, if I don't deal with it, Uh, The payoff is, you know, maybe I feel more in control. See, the bottom line is all of this stuff says something about me. Like, okay, so my kids, you know, got whatever, like you said. Um, What does that say about me? You know, my kid's screwing up. Um, At the end of the day, that's saying something about me as a mom, whether I'm willing to look at that or not. It's saying, you know, maybe I'm going to start feeling, you know, inadequate. Oh, I did this wrong. Or maybe I should have done that. Or I didn't was strict enough. Or I was too strict. Um, maybe I'm going to feel a loss of security. Oh, my gosh, you know, what's going to happen to my kid because they're screwing up? So all of this goes back to our needs. All of these things are directed back to our needs because our needs, love, value, worth, security, adequacy, all of that is driven and it drives our behavior. And so if I don't want to look at something, it's because, um, you know, I may feel inadequacy, I may not feel valuable, Uh, It may make me feel extremely insecure, so I'm going to avoid it. So it definitely has a direct link uh, to what's going on in our own life because it's not just about what God's up to in our child's life or our spouse's life or whatever. It's about what he's up to in my life. If I'm in relationships, you know, God's going to be using that. He's going to be using that to stir things up in my own life. And the question is, am I going to look at it and am I going to deal with it? 
and that's the healthy way to do it. You know, you're you're doing the healthy thing by looking at this. You know, the first thing I ask myself when something comes up with someone, a comp- what am I believing about that? What am I believing yeah, about myself? Mm-hmm. And what am I believing about this other person? Because all it's all about what we're believing because actions will always follow beliefs. And I was walking with someone, a couple of friends this morning, and we were talking about this and, you know, this person had had, you know, a lot of um, problems with um, with her children. And um, I said, well, you know, I think it sounds like there's just some real inflexible belief systems in place. And if that goes on for years and years, if I've established beliefs about you and I'm inflexible and willing to change or modify those, then I'm going to keep acting the same way because I'm believing maybe that you don't care or you, you weren't there for me or, um, you know, you didn't try enough or whatever I'm believing. And so if I believe those things, then I'm going to act in ways that solidify that that belief, aren't I? And that's what mm-hmm. we all do. So, But the cool thing about all of that is, you know, as we, as we learn to unpack this stuff, beliefs can be changed or modified. I mean, I may not be able to go from one extreme to another, but I try to teach people how can we inch down the continuum from one end to the other to modify this belief, um, you know, that's where real healing is going to occur. Because at the end of the day, all that really matters is what God says. doesn't matter what anything else happens here. What it matters is what God says. And it sounds like you're kind of looking at that and taking it before the Lord, and that's all we we got. In um, one of John Eldridge's earliest books, Sacred Romance, he says um, that the biggest lie that Satan ever puts over on on us is that God is not as good as he says he is. And the primary time when he puts this lie into our thinking is in when we're little trauma and loss, you know? Mm-hmm. And when we're yes. little, for sure. And but when as, we're little. Even as we, it's reinforced as we go every time a trauma comes again. It taps back into that pain as a child, and it adds the weight of this new loss to prove that God is not as good as he says he is. You know, which is, you, you know, you were talking about how, the the real losses are an assault on our heart. And in yes. in the core of it all, it's an assault on God. It's 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 our it's the enemy saying, Let's use this evidence to prove that God is not good. Let's use this to prove uh, And so in in a mind huge. that's in a, in a mind that's determined to always look for the good in God to seek to seek the truth of what he says, who he says he is, who does he say he is, how does that line up with my circumstance, you know? And um, it, it's often very perplexing in the circumstance. I mean, you just went through that last year, um, this past year, Rita, where I, I'm sure that you, after your husband's death, I'm sure that there were times that you really had a hard time to line up a good God with what you were experiencing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I didn't really ever not believe God was good. It was more, okay, God, if you're going to allow that, well, for your listeners that don't know, my husband took his life. So trying to bring congruence to, okay, God, well, if this has happened, can I trust you like that you're going to have my back? Um, But fortunately for me, I mean, what you said a minute ago, this is my whole message. You know, our concept of God, what we think about him, what we feel about him, and most importantly, what we believe about him that was established long before many of our losses actually occurred. That that gets laid down when we're little. How how do we see God? How do mom and dad relate? You know, what do we learn about God? How do we grow up with that? And then as we move out, you know, as we grow up, that's exactly what happens. Different experiential things happen to me which either confirm or deny, um, you know, my beliefs, my already existing beliefs about who God is. Um so is he good? I mean, you know, we can't sit on the fence with this because every trial and every loss that we incur will stir the seeds of doubt concerning God's goodness and take us right back to our questions about suffering. You know, okay, God, are you good because you've allowed this horrific thing, you know, in my life? I mean, it's great to trust God, you know, when the story has a happy ending, even if we've gone through a season of suffering. But and we trust God when the bottom drops out. You know, the grenade went right. off and just decimates my whole life. And that's basically how the enemy got Eve. I mean, in the garden, you know, he was trying to get her um, to doubt goodness of God. Oh, oh, Eve, God's holding out on you. You know, you're lacking right. something that if you just had, 
you'd be okay. And so okay. then she began to question the nature and the character of God, and that's what we do. And so what we have to do is we have to go back to keep our minds stayed on the truth we know about the character of God. You know, forget the pains that mom and dad caused us or, you know, maybe dad abandoned me or dad was an alcoholic. Or, you know, and so I, I transfer all those conditions of worth that, you know, were imposed upon my dad onto my relationship with God. Um, and if we're willing to lay all that aside and read the stories of Scripture and see the heart of God, to realize that God didn't sacrifice anything uh, of himself. He gave his only son who was beaten and pulverized, you know, on our behalf. Um, we have to wrestle with this question because it's all the enigma of suffering. Everything that we face, every loss, like I said, is going to lead us right back to deciding some things about the heart of God. And I don't believe we're going to move forward through our losses unless we settle that issue, period. Mm-hmm. Because we're always going to stay stuck. We'll oh, think, well, I can surrender this to you, Lord. No, but I don't know about this over here. You know, like how can I surrender? How can I ask you to surrender to a God who you don't believe at the heart level has your best interests at heart? You're not going to be able to do it. Right. Right. It all goes back to, you know, what do I believe, God? And if, I mean, there's nothing wrong with struggling with that. God knows we're going to wrestle with these deep issues of the heart. And so as I as I looked about um, and thought about this whole thing, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily interested so much in um, what a lot of traditional books on grief focus on, you know, the sequential steps to Mm -hmm. grieving and, you know, how do I, and all that's great. But I was more interested in addressing the abstract loss thing. And I was also interested in as to why some people go through incredible tragedies and make it through with their faith still intact and others lose the battle for their hearts altogether. Mm. And, you know, um, you know, with the book, you know, and given my recent situation with my husband's suicide, I'm not just going to be talking about that. I'm <laughs> yeah. living this now. I am yeah. walking through this horrific thing. And, and in the book I talk a lot about, um, you know, common threads that I noticed in, um, in people that I interviewed and biblical characters who demonstrated resiliency after catastrophic loss, okay? And Job is an example. So my point being that Job wrestled with God. He laid his lament before the heart of God. He ranted and raved. And in the process, he was doing relationship. And that's what we do. I mean, look at our lives. You know, we rant and rave at each other. We get angry because this person did this and that. And, but in that process, we're doing relationship. We're working things out. We're, we're figuring out all of this stuff. Um, Job never lost sight of the fact that God was good. And, I, and I've never lost sight of that fact. Um, he accepted what God had decreed for his life. Um, that goes to the surrender, and that's, you know, we surrender, and okay, God, you know, this is what you've decided, and then a week later, I'm pulling it back. No, God, I'm really ticked off right. about this. I can't right. believe this, you know. Are you kidding me? You're, you're asking me to, to walk through this. Um, but Job trusted God in spite of his confusion, and he risked stepping out again. And that's key if we're going to recover from the losses of life. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with Rita Schulte, the author of Shattered, and her website is RitaSchulte.com, and you can check out the book at forward slash northwest. We'll be right back and talk about why brokenness is a necessary part of our lives, and also some roadblocks to grieving, identifying loss, and more. We'll be right back. WomenSpeakers.com is the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, featuring over 1,700 women speakers from every experience level, denomination, and fee range, some near you. Visit WomenSpeakers.com to find the perfect speaker for your next event or to get training to be a speaker, author, or media personality. All training and connections occur online anytime you have time. Find a speaker, add a speaker, or become a speaker at www.womenspeakers.com. Welcome back. This is Marnie. We're talking today about Shattered, finding hope and healing through the losses of life with the author of the book by the same title, Rita Schulte. And right now we're going to talk about 
the subject everybody always wants to ask a big answer for is how come there has to be pain? How come there how come there has to be suffering in the world? Why can't we just have heaven on earth? And Rita, I'm just going to ask you that question. <laughs> I know. You know, the bottom line is it's a fallen world and this isn't our home. Um, I think we, you know, we say that as believers, um, but, you know, do we really get that? Life is going to be really hard. And I think, um, you know, we just we just often don't realize how hard um, it is, but I think this whole idea of brokenness, why there's pain, why there's suffering, um, why is it a necessary part of our lives? I think because how we respond to the changes and the losses of life eventually is going to determine what happens to our hearts. And so is God going to be a part of that? I mean, most of us can probably say that it was during those times of um, brokenness that uh, I felt the most close to God, that God showed up or God did this in my life or God did that in my life. Um, But if we look intently below the surface, you know, we're going to see that the journey through brokenness is a call for us to decide which path our hearts are going to choose. Is it going to be hope or is it going to be despair? And it's also going to be a call for us to decide some things about the heart of God. Is he good or do I just walk away from this whole faith thing? And I think all of us, you know, we spend a great deal. I mean, I know I do a great deal of time trying to make my life work, you know, trying to struggle and figure things out and make sense of life. And our national, our natural inclination is to fight against pain and brokenness. And yet it's the very thing that brings God into the forefront of our lives. If we're honest, I mean, a lot of times when we're going through those mountaintop experiences, we aren't, necessarily, um, you know, in that closeness with God because we don't need it as much. And brokenness brings God into the forefront of our life because we feel like maybe he's all we have right now. And so I think he can move us from death to life if we allow it to do that. Um, I think he can engender transformation in our lives, but we first have to be willing to grant God a window into our souls and I think if we're faithful to stay the course with that, transformation can occur. And I believe it can flow from two sources. The first being the choices we make about how we'll handle our pain. We have a choice about that. We can, um, you know, withdraw. We can be angry at God. We can shake our fist. We can just, you know, step out of the game. Um, and, hey, you know, who'd blame us, you know? Um, or we can... Try to cultivate that resiliency. We can put our faith and trust in God. We can anchor ourselves to a God who knows the way, even though we believe we might have a better one. The second thing, I think, it's our willingness to be personally responsive to how God is leading us through the journey of sorrow and suffering. And um, that's going to be different for each of us because we're each unique beings. None of our losses... um, you know, could possibly be the same, but how we handle those, uh, our personality, how we're, you know, how our walk with the Lord is at the time, all of those things are going to be very unique. And um, and I think it's very important for people to get that because most of the time when you've incurred, um, you know, loss such as a death of a spouse, whatever, death of a child, um, people want to tell you what to do, how to move through it, what you're doing right, what you're doing wrong. Um, I interviewed Kay Warren uh, about a month ago on my uh, radio show, Heartline. And, uh, you know, I think most people realize that Luke and Kay Warren lost their son to suicide uh, last uh, April. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of what she's saying is, you know, just sit with people. Don't You don't have to be an answer for them. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to tell them what to do. Um, just sit with them in their grief because that's what they need. And so I think that the journey will look different and how God is asking us to be responsive to how he's leading us is going to be all we need to really concern ourselves with. Um, so I think, you know, we need to decide some some, some things within those two frameworks. And I think... Uh, we need to decide if the most important part of the story, our story, is going to be what happened to us through whatever our loss has been or what happens in us 
in response to whatever our loss has been. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and and it is so true. It is so true that people have come through horrific, horrific experiences and are truly beautiful and gracious and faithful. And others have come through much less. You know, yeah. there really are there really are multiple choices when you get to these points. And even let's talk about the relationship with God itself. There's one, um, I think what I've observed in myself and in others is that there's the actual shock period of time and then there's the walking out of the grieving period of time. And those seem to be two kind of different um, experiences in most people's lives. I, I think sometimes somebody really excels at the shock period of time holding on to God <laughs> and then they kind of fall apart yeah. during the walking it out and other people kind of really fall apart at the shock period and then they then they come back and they really walk it out really well and you know it's a, most of us are just all over the board with that but talk about talk a little bit about what are some what are some maybe um foundational thought processes that we need to put into place now before our next loss in order to really increase our relationship or maximize our relationship with God, even through a loss? Sure. Um, I think the big, you know, thing that I tell people is um, nailing down your concept of God. I mean, again, it's easy to do that when your story has a happy ending, but if God's gotten you through one loss, you know, if you've gotten a word from him or God showed up for you, You've got to remember that uh, when the next loss comes around because he's the same God. So he's, he's still there. But if we don't have some kind of, um, you know, belief system in place about the goodness um, and the attunement and compassion of Almighty God before, if we haven't figured some of that out, you know, and most of us have gone through at least minimal losses to be able to think about that. Um, then that's going to be a big a big piece of it, I think. Um, I'm again because I mean, how am I going to make it through without God? He's all I have, really. So I've got to figure out and decide some things about the heart of God because then, if I can trust Him, then slowly, you know, I can begin to surrender some of these things. Um, the other huge piece I talk about is um, this whole idea of spiritual disciplines, Marie, and you know that. I don't know if people are familiar with that and discipline because can be like, okay, oh my gosh, you know, this bunch of legalistic rules, but it's not that at all. The spiritual disciplines were created and used in order to connect people with the heart of God. So what I want to do is I want to lay a foundation by using the spiritual disciplines such as silence, solitude, meditation, contemplative prayer, um, simplicity, all of these things, you know, my two big ones are silence and solitude because I think they're the most. Could you I think say them the again? Two that were most silence and solitude. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think they're the two that we're most afraid of. I mean, mm-hmm. I know for me, like, I am such a I don't like being alone person. I mean, I don't mean like I love being alone for a few days, but you know, like alone, like at this level, what I'm facing right now. And I think as I counsel people, that's probably people's biggest fear, like not wanting to be alone. But solitude teaches us about that. And as we practice, um, you know, reducing the noise and commotion in our lives, then we have to face ourselves and we have to face our relationship with God. And that can be scary. But if we're willing to step out and do that, then what we're doing is we're growing up our spiritual muscles and we're growing up our dependence on God and our trust in God, and we have we have the quiet so that we can actually hear God speaking uh, to our hearts. And it's just it can really be just a beautiful thing. But it's a discipline in that I have to be intentional and deliberate about practicing it. I have to devote time to this relationship and be committed to this relationship with my Father. Um, you know, we wouldn't have relationships with our spouses or our children or our friends, our closest friends, if we didn't spend time with them. Okay. And it's the same thing with God. How do we know the heart of God? Well, I'm going to, you know, spend a minute and do a, you know, read a devotion and then I'm going on my way. Or I'm, am I really sitting with God? Am I listening to God? Am I crying out, you know, uh, in this dark night of the soul that I'm in 
trying to, you know, and willing to receive from God. So I think that if we do, if we practice some of those things, you know, I mean, study, Bible study, all of those things are good, and they build up our, our faith. But we need more than an intellectual knowing of God. We need an experiential knowing of him. And it's through the practice of these disciplines that I believe we give God a chance to show up for us and know yeah. our hearts as well as us knowing his. And that's key. Yeah. Besides the lack of these disciplines or a poor concept of God, what are some of the roadblocks that people experience um, that hold them back from truly grieving losses or even from identifying them in the first place? Well, I think, you know, the two we talked about, you know, denial and avoidance, and they're powerful forces. I mean, you can deny that there's a problem uh, to the point you believe there really isn't one. Um, denial is a very powerful force. Uh, it's it's the play it safe, you know, I'm not going to go there. I got all the ducks in the row, um, you know, because I got to hold, you know, my world together. Uh, control is another huge uh, issue for us uh, in terms of, um, you know, not going to these places of emotional pain. Um, and then we have um, fear. Fear is probably one of the biggest things. Uh, fear keeps us frozen. Uh, in our pain, uh, we're not um, we're not going to move forward because you know everything is uh, is terrifying for us. I mean, and it's easy to say, oh yeah, God says you know didn't give us a spirit of fear and you know blah blah blah, but fear can build tremendous stronghold in in people people's lives, and it it really speaks to our um, our need for security. And so when you when you lose things what's the first thing you feel insecure? I mean, you know, you can't, like, lose a husband or a child or, you know, whatever. Your whole world, you know, the bottom drops out, and, you know, there's going to be a certain amount of fear and insecurity. So fear is a big um, a big one. And then, you know, we have um, guilt and shame. You know, a lot of times when we've experienced losses, um, we live in the if-onlys, if only I had done this, if only I had done that, if only I had seen this, well, you know, or we live in the, what it, you know, the what if, well, what if this, you know, well, what if this happened, well, what if that didn't happen? Um, or we live, you know, with the regret, you know, well, I should have done this, I should have done that. And so there's really no life in either place, you know. The Christian life can only be lived in the moment as I'm trusting Christ as my very life. But it's very, very difficult uh, to not do that, especially if we've incurred losses that have left us filled with regrets. You know, you had a fight with your daughter and then, uh, you know, she she goes, storms out of the house and she, you know, hits a tree with her car, with her car and she's dead. You know, I don't get a redo on that. Um, so there's a lot of things that complicate our grief uh, that leave us unwilling to... Um, you know, some of us don't want to look at that, so again, we shut down, and then others of us spend, you know, the next five or ten years or lifetime uh, living under the excruciating pain of those guilts and regrets. You know, why didn't I, um, you know, try to repair this relationship? Why did I say that? Why was I too busy? Why was I this? Why was I that? And again, we, you know, all of those are attempts for you and I to rewrite the story with a different ending. And we can't go back and do that, can we? Hmm. So there are all ways that we want to try to, um, you know, rework the unfinished business or avoid it. And so those are, those are a few others that, that I talk about in the book. Hmm. Well, this is Marnie Sledberg. We're visiting today with Rita Schulte of RitaSchulte.com. She's the author of a book called Shattered, Finding Hope and Healing Through the Losses of Life. And you can find that at any bookseller or at RitaSchulte.com forward slash Northwest. We're going to come back for our last segment and talk about how to deal with the anger and unforgiveness or trying to forgive as they uh, relate to processing loss. We'll be right back. What's your next step? Are you tired of scouring the Internet to find the training you need to take you from where you are today to where you want to be? Stop searching and start moving towards your goals with over 150 targeted training modules available to you at Marnie.com. You can learn how to speak, how to write, how to get published, how to get media coverage, and so much more, all available at Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E dot com. 
Welcome back to our last segment today in our program called Shattered, Finding Hope and Healing Through the Losses of Life with our guest, Rita Schulte. Rita, um, one of the things that we all experience uh, when we're going through a loss is is a, a response of either anger or maybe there's equivalent responses to that. I, I almost wonder if in every loss, whether it's a slammed finger in a car door or, uh, you know, or a, a loss of a loved one to death or whatever, there, anger comes pretty easily to us in those situations. Why is that emotion so readily at hand when something goes not the way we want it? Well, that's another one of the roadblocks, and, and I didn't mention that one, so I'm glad we're, you know, finishing up with this. Anger's huge, and it's normal to be angry when we face a loss, um, anger is a response to a blocked goal, a hurt, or a perceived loss. And a loss usually gives rise to anger. We want to blame somebody. We, you know, maybe I wanted something and I didn't get it, or I got something that I didn't want. I lost something that I held dear. And so, again, you know, if we don't take care of the anger, the root of bitterness will spring up and we'll walk around carrying this big sack of rocks uh, on our backs filling it up with stones of bitterness, hurt, disappointment, and pain. Um, again, we can also um, be angry at God. And so that's going to be a huge problem in order to move through our losses. So, um, you know, God God can get gets our anger. He knows that we're angry. Uh, and so anger is our responsibility to deal with. Uh, anger is a defense mechanism oftentimes and can um, sit on top of um, the hurt and sadness, the more vulnerable or um, softer emotions of rejection and hurt that we feel. And so it's a strong and powerful God-given emotion. But scripture is very clear about anger. It says don't let the sun go down on you while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And so it's not wrong that we're angry. We just have to know what to do with our anger. We have to process it. We have to recognize it. Although the, cause, because if we don't, the enemy of our souls is going to use it to encroach upon our hearts and he'll take up residence there. And mm-hmm. that will determine the direction of our faith, the outcome of our faith oftentimes. Yeah. About 10 years ago in our very small town, I live in a community of about 1,800. In our very small town, we lost several teens. I think it was eight teens in one year, all to a wide variety, no two the same, none drug or alcohol related, and they all died. And there was no one to blame for any of those deaths. They were brain injured and things like this. It was it was just incredible. And what was interesting for me to watch was when people didn't have anywhere to to uh, direct their anger. For instance, there was no drunk driver. There was no, you know, um, uh, uh, drug seller. There, you know, there, there yeah, was yeah. no one to be angry at. And it really forced a different response than the typical teen death in which you have someone to get mad at. And people really had to deal with their anger or deal with the loss in a different way than if they had had uh, a source or uh, a target for their anger. It was it was fascinating to watch, a horrifying to live through for all of us, you know, and especially for the families, of course. But at the same time, it was really profound to me to notice the difference between when there so is did, something what, what to be angry notice? at. Did you notice they they turned the anger uh, inward, or they turned it at God, or what did you notice? Um, because there because anger wasn't wasn't um, really a response that could be justified. It had to it had to give way to some of the other feelings that were underneath it. It was yeah, it was not able to hold its power exactly. It it had to be replaced because it had nothing to hold its power. Uh, it's different mm-hmm. when we have someone to be mad at. We can stay mad for years and never get past that, never look under it. Uh, but because this rock of there's nobody to be mad at was removed from everybody's hand. Uh, we had to look under the rock and see all the little critters crawling around under there that were nasty right. and needed to be addressed. And, and I believe that healing came easier to us, even in the extreme loss of so many kids, because we were all having to look at um, the real source of our pain, which wasn't a person, um, 
And yeah. in honest Rita, it never is, you know. We think we should be mad at the person who took a life or mad at these other people, but honestly, I, I always believe that our anger is always targeted at God, and as soon as we address that in our spirits, the sooner we can be healed. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how to actually recover. Because <laughs> now we spent an hour talking about, you know, we're going to have losses, we're going to have pain, we're going to have these situations. There's things that can prevent us from recovering. But how does one actually intentionally move toward recovering? Well, we've got to ask ourselves, I think, you know, what will we choose about the time that still remains? Um, will we choose the past that calls us to reinvest our hearts into something of lasting value, uh, leaving a legacy, or are we going to draw inward, allowing the flow of life and love to remain dormant in our lives? So we have this decision of what to do with our hearts after uh, we survive this assault, this battle. And it isn't an easy one because, you know, the pain is going to constantly try to resurface and pull us back into sorrow's grip. So I think rebuilding... Uh, is going to require decisions that move us forward and invest our hearts and our lives and our time in what remains. And we've got to be we've got to be able to see the bigger picture because God is um, telling a redemptive story, and, and I believe that I believe He's telling the ultimate story of redemption through His Son. And so, how then can my story, your story, um, all all of your listeners' story, how, how can that fit in to this bigger story, this grander story that um, God is telling? You know, that is going to be, um, you know, the choices that we have to make um, to support the flow of this living water that's that's in us, you know, this, this power of God, him living his life in and through us. And so I think choice and perspective are going to be the two most important components of reinvestment um we have to we also have to um you know look at our passions i mean you know so many ministries uh have been born out of uh extreme adversity i mean i think of um uh, john walsh and america's most wanted i think of uh Candace leitner and um you know mothers against drunk driving uh, again you know do we see the bigger picture and how can we fit into that and it's very very difficult to see that at the beginning of your grief journey it's right. it's not going to happen overnight and people need to understand you know let let if you're walking alongside of someone who's going through this you know don't push them too hard you know because it it is a journey it is a process and when our hearts have been shattered when they're dying um there are going to be times that we're tempted to let everything else die with it, you know? Mm -hmm. So we need this fuel of desire to inspire us, and we need the leading of the Holy Spirit to work in us, or else everything, you know, that we've we've worked toward um, as Christians, as as disciples of Christ, our dreams, all of that, they're going to die a silent death as well. So the whole idea is take time, take time to grieve. doesn't mean you have to be stagnant, but... Um, you know, it's grief is hard, exhausting work, and you have to fight your way out of it, you know, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, you just have to keep that flame, um, you know, ignite that flame, let God, the Holy Spirit, ignite that flame in you. Um, I think we also... Um, really need to um, begin to see, you know, and, and again, this isn't something we can really see at the beginning of, of catastrophic loss, um, but but considering suffering, sorrow and suffering as our tutors that can draw us into deeper dependency on the Father. And then we, like Job, can begin to move to a place of acceptance uh, to whatever, um, you know, God has allowed to come into our lives, even when we feel like it's torn us to pieces. Yeah. I think the perspective piece is so important. Uh, choice is also important. And I just thought the point, the thought I had with the choice piece is that um, we we tend to think that um, choosing joy in a very traumatic situation is irresponsible, appears to be irresponsible and like you didn't care. And yet the Bible talks about the peace of God that transcends all understanding. It's such an amazing peace that can come 
and and to just be willing to embrace it when God gives it. If and when, you know, you receive that peace or that joy, just go ahead and embrace it and, and, and run with it instead of choosing the sorrow and the sadness that's been engulfing you. And sometimes that can be kind of a hard hard transition to make. And another, the perspective piece, I was thinking about that. Um, I just have a saying that I, uh, kind of a mantra, a, a quote that I say all the time in my head, I'm going to focus on what I have instead of on what I don't have. I'm going to focus on what I've been given instead of what I lost. And even um, my dad dropped dead just suddenly um, eight years ago now. And and when he did, I I was able to fairly quickly, even though I experienced a tremendous grief over that, I was able to very quickly identify how fortunate, how blessed I had been to have a dad like that. Um, and just to be able to really, every time that the pain came, quickly transition into gratitude and thanksgiving for ever having known him, for being his daughter, for having had him in my life, for all the things he taught me, and for him introducing me to God. So um, we have this choice to focus on what we have instead of what we've lost, and that's that's a huge piece. Maybe in about a minute or so, Rita, do you have a final thought for someone who's listening and has just is walking through one of the worst experiences of their life? Do you have something that you could share with them? Yeah, I, I think, you know, just to encourage people that even if the losses of life have assaulted their hearts and even if they're right in the middle of that dark night of the soul, not to give up, not to lose heart because we are in this daily battle and we can't give up because our hearts matter to God. He's at work in our lives and he wants to use our stories to touch the hearts and lives of other people we have to remember that even if we're in the worst possible place in this drama of life, that the story isn't finished yet. Yeah. This isn't the last chapter. I remember one time going through something so hard, and a friend of mine said, Marnie, you're only on chapter 22, and there's 40 chapters in this book. <laughs> yeah. You just well, got to hang in there. And, you know, I, I, that's one of the things that I really struggle with about how God does it is that, you know, every story has so much trauma, and if it didn't, it wouldn't be a good story. It wouldn't be yeah. an interesting story. But yet we don't, any of us, want to walk through the story. We all just want to have the happy ending. So uh, exactly. it's very difficult to submit ourselves to Christ. Well, Rita, I am so grateful that you could be here with us today to share about this topic. Thank you so much for having me, Marnie. It's always a blessing to chat with you. Oh, great. And and if somebody stopped by your website at com, what would they find there? Uh, we have, um, well, the site is under construction right now, but um, there's a lot of help. You know, my radio show, uh, I interview a lot of the top um, Christian counselors and leaders and writers uh, on cutting-edge topics that have to do with everything from, you know, loss to eating disorders to marital issues to how help your children, uh, anxiety, depression. Um, we've got a lot of blog posts by some of these you know, these great folks, uh, folks like John Townsend, um, Lee Strobel, June Hunt, um, Kay Warren was on a month ago. We've had, we've got a lot of really good material there uh, that will help people, and that's what it's all about, you know, pouring yourself back out uh, to help others along this journey. So um, the, you can order the book. Uh, my new book just released uh, last month. It's called Imposter. Uh, you can take a look at that. And... Um, you know, just some media stuff and, you know, people can just look around and hopefully uh, someone will be blessed and someone will be helped and encouraged. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And you can find out more about Rita and her books over at RitaShulte.com. And that's Rita, R-I-T-A, Schulte, S-C-H-U-L-T-E.com. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day, a terrific week, and we'll see you here next time. Bye-bye for now. <laughs> 